One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit juvederm.com. That's J U V E D E R M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking The Many Saints of Newark, joined by special guests, including the star of the movie, Alessandro Nivola, as well as director Alan Taylor. Plus, we'll cover all the latest news and trailers. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies with a great episode for you today. So in The Many Saints of Newark, a young Anthony Soprano is growing up in one of the most tumultuous eras of Newark's history, the late 1960s. Just as rival gangsters rise up to challenge the all-powerful DeMio crime family and its hold over the race-torn city. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle Tony idolizes, Dickie Moltisanti, who struggles to manage his personal and professional responsibilities, and whose influence over his nephew will help make the teenager into the mob boss we'll later come to know, Tony Soprano. This film is directed by Alan Taylor from a screenplay by David Chase based on characters created by Lawrence Connor. The film stars Alessandro Nivola, Leslie Odom Jr., John Bernthal, Vera Farmiga, Corey Stoll, Ray Liotta, and Michael Gandolfini. Now, Popcorn Podcast invited director Alan Taylor and star Alessandro Nivola to share some fascinating insights from making this film, and we'll hear from them throughout the episode. Now, Lee, this film is a story rich with complex family drama and mm-hmm. politics and significant racial tension of Newark at the time. It's got a lot going on here, doesn't it? Lots, lots of layers. That's an understatement. And how effective do you think it was to expand the lens of the story to include the race wars of the time and beside the mob wars? And and how effectively do you think it was addressed in the film? 
I think it's always a conversation that's important to have. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back at history, really pivotal times, especially around racial injustice in America yeah. and all around the world. And it's a conversation we need to constantly have. I think it was a really interesting layer of this film. Mm-hmm. I do think it was done well. How did you think? I think there was a lot stuffed into this movie, as you said at the beginning. You know, it's a story that's billed as being about young Tony Soprano, but it's not really. Mostly it's about Tony's uncle, Dickie Moltisanti, who was the father of Christopher, who some people might remember was a main character in The Sopranos and he was killed by Tony Soprano. Right, yeah. I I went into this film thinking that it was going to be a film about Tony, a young teenage Tony. yeah. Like I honestly did. And just before I launch any further, my relationship with the Soprano series is very minimal Mm -hmm. in terms of I haven't seen it. Have you seen the series? Some of it, but again, I haven't seen the whole thing and I'm not a huge, massive, like dedicated fan. Love it, but haven't seen all of it. And I was just curious why they chose this character, Dickie, to focus on. Why not more about Tony? Yeah, I mean, we see Tony as a young boy and then again as a teenager. Mm. So I would say that about half the film runs past before Tony becomes a teenager within the timeline of the movie. Yeah. So there's a lot that they need to explore and cover off before Mm. we get a teenage Tony. And I don't think that's working for the story as well because the audience want to meet and see and experience a teenage Tony, mm. and it takes a long time for us to be introduced to him. Mm. I mean, Dickie is a charming gangster. Oh, yeah. People respect him, much similar to Tony, but he's also struggling internally with his purpose and his father issues, played by Ray Liotta. Um, you know, Tony had mother issues in the series. So there's a similar thread running through there. There's lots of similarities that they pulled, but I don't know why they didn't just hit the nail on the head and just go for a prequel about Tony. Yeah, because... As I said, I haven't seen the Sopranos series, but in no way did I feel that the Tony that we were introduced to in this film would become this big gangster boss. Mm. Like I didn't really get flavours of his character, his sentiment or his drive. You know, he has a few misdemeanours, cheating at school, you know, Mm. all those sorts of things that obviously build to him becoming this big gangster boss, but there wasn't much to it other than that. I think that comes down to the breathing room in the script or the screenplay. Mm. There isn't enough time to focus on all these different aspects properly. So they're all running a bit thin, I think. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned that there's a lot in this film, a lot of layers, many subplots, and they're rich subplots that this film explores. But I couldn't help but wonder, though, if it were too many Mm. and whether this film, and you can see this coming, whether this film would have been more effective as a series to explore the complexities of the characters and the events. Or at least a mini-series. Yes, a mini-series. I'm thinking, Mm. well, eight episodes maximum, but it could have been a three- or four-parter, I I feel. In terms of the story, though, there were quite a few things that I enjoyed, and that was the creative similarities to the way The Sopranos is made. You know, the main character is in a therapy of sorts. Dickie's in a sort of therapy when he visits his uncle in prison. Tony was in actual therapy. You know, they're both unburdening themselves to a confidant. The characters are double-crossing each other and grappling with their internal moral compasses, again, like Tony. So I enjoyed those aspects where they're heralding to the series and pulling threads in. And I feel like that's an inherent genre trope of gangster films. Now, I don't always get gangster films and that world because Mm. they're so dissimilar to the world that I live in and exist in and how I behave and treat people around me. But I get a real kick out of them. They're just... These characters are 
so messed up. Mm-hmm. They're so complicated. You don't know what's going to tip them over the edge yeah. and have them kill someone or hug and kiss someone. Yeah. I find that deeply fascinating as a character assessment in gangster yeah. movies and you're always on the edge of your seat yeah. as a result. One thing, though, you do kind of need to be familiar with The Sopranos to understand the hierarchy of the families. That's not explained as well. It's assumed knowledge, I think, and that's one thing that I struggled with. Yeah, yeah, me too because, um, yeah, the families are quite far-reaching, aren't there? There's a lot of characters and you're thinking who's at the top of the food chain um, and who's not. Mm. So that's a very good point. And it has been a while since The Sopranos ended. So, you know, why now? Why this film and why now? Great question, Lee. So let's hear from director Alan Taylor about why it was the right time to revisit this world. I'll be honest with you. I want the money. I want to do a good deed. A few things converged, I think, but the main thing was the mysterious inner workings of David Chase's mind because no one wants to see a movie based on the show that's not conceived by David, I don't think. It's um, his vision completely defined the show, so his vision had to define any movie. And somehow, for mysterious reasons that only he understands, he came around to seeing a story that he wanted to pursue. That's why the movie exists, mostly. It turns out that many people have gone back to watch the show again, and so there's just sort of a second wave of um, Sopranos appreciation that I think is playing into the movie. And then in a darker way, one of the themes that we took on was sort of the, the, you know, the race struggle um, that was very overt and violent in Newark at the time. We didn't know when we started it, but um, that issue came roaring to the surface again recently in America. So, you know, with George, George Floyd and, and the fallout mm-hmm. from that. And so in a way, it's the right time for looking back with a kind of a brutally honest eye to some things that, that have been troubling this country for a long time. So I think there's a bunch of things that sort of make it the right time for this movie to come out. That and the fact that for this brief moment, Michael Gandolfini was the right age to play <laughs> uh, with a little stretching, the role that his father made famous. Hi, Christopher, hello. Hey. Oh. Oh. Okay, all right. All like right. a scam or something. I loved your chat with Alan Lee. He is obviously so invested in this mm. series, in this story, fascinating. And he knows this world so well, so he's the perfect man for the job. And he made a lot of really creative film choices. Yep. Talk to me about, I know you and Alan talked about the opening of the film. Yeah. What was significant and cool about that? Well, the movie opens with a pan through a graveyard where the gravestones are spilling secrets and it's narrated by Christopher Moltisanti. And the choice to narrate the film through him I found really interesting. It's another way that it ties it together with The Sopranos. And there's little bits of foreshadowing in there which were quite funny um, like baby Christopher crying anytime he was around Tony Soprano. It's like he knew that they were going to grow up <laughs> to have this tumultuous relationship. Yeah, and I only know that because you mentioned that to me in like reading and researching on the film in general. So I guess as an outsider, having no familiarity with the story, that was lost on me. But there was a moment in that discourse between the baby and Tony, which I thought was hilarious because he was crying mm. And Tony's line was, what's wrong with Gucci Goo? Because he was saying Gucci Goo to the baby. And I thought that was a really funny moment. Yeah. So I got a kick out of that nonetheless, even mm. though I didn't realise the like the impact behind that. Yeah. Well, Alan Taylor shared with me more about how the opening of the film came about. So let's take a listen to that. I want to do whatever I can to help the family. I was really fascinated by the opening of the film that as the camera pans through the graveyard, you know, spilling its secrets. Can you expand a bit on the creative choice to open the movie that way? Yeah, that's, that's funny that you went to that. That's, um, 
it's it's a dark secret about making movies that it's a sausage factory and it's you should probably never look back at how it's made it, it's because it's completely upside down and backwards we had various other beginnings in uh, in mind while we were shooting the movie and david had a stroke of um inspiration very late in the process i think it was around the time we were breaking from because of covid and starting again he got this idea and it finally sort of made sense of the movie in a way that uh i mean it darkened things in an interesting way mm. But it grounded it more in the series because there was a character that we knew from the series. But, you know, this is a movie that's got a lot of humor and a lot of absurdity and a lot of action. But it's also got a real darkness to it, that mm. part of the show. I mean, it, it begins in a cemetery, it's narrated by a corpse, and it ends in a funeral. So it's like, <laughs> you, can't get, you, know, uh, you can't get much darker than that. And I think part of the tone that David chose was to sort of to have that be the bedrock of the thing. Some babies, when they come into the world, know all kinds of things from the other side. That's what I want. I want to talk about another really, really significant creative mm. choice that was made for, for a moment in this movie. There was a poem being recounted during the looting scene, and I found that just so moving mm. and so effective. And I was really, really moved by it. And, you know, that choice against all the violence and the chaos was an incredible mm. piece of cinema. And that's something, again, that's within the Sopranos series, that juxtaposition of soft versus hard, and that's all within Tony Soprano. Yeah, because it, when they make a choice with the script and throw something like a piece of poetry, it makes you pay way more attention to what's happening on the screen where you might want to look away at the violence because it's uncomfortable. You're drawn in by this beautiful script, and I just love that. There was also another scene, I won't, I won't go into too much detail, mm-hmm. but just, gosh, it was haunting and beautiful, that moment in the beach when someone was being drowned. Yeah. It was so, so awful, but it was stunning. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Gosh. Beautifully shot. Yeah, really beautifully shot. What's interesting is that this is Alessandro Nivola's first major leading role you know it's it's hard to believe because he's been around for a while i think one of the first movies i saw him in was a jurassic park three or two one of them holy shit is that him yeah he was he was dr grant's uh assistant oh my god he stole the eggs yes it was his fault yes he stole the eggs gosh that's 20 years ago and then of course face off also he was nicholas cage's brother in face off my goodness you know that really surprises me that this is his first leading role because he was Superb. Mm. It's just a shame that there isn't enough space in the script to really dig into his character like they would have with Tony, you know, to really feel that complex humanity that The Sopranos Mm. delivered on. I wanted to see more of that in this film. Yeah, because I was very surprised by his character and how invested I was, but there wasn't enough meat on the bones because, as you said, he was very complex. I found him very dangerous as well, Mm. and I just wanted them to tap into more of his psyche and why he mm. why he made the decisions that he did. And I wanted to see him be more dangerous because it was just so great to see mm. his performance. Alessandra Nivola has more insights on his character for us, as well as what it was like to work with the king of gangster movies, Ray Liotta. Let's hear from the man directly. You know, I, I try so hard. Yeah, I mean, he has these uh, a kind of public face, which is, someone who is really well loved in in the community he's charming attractive seems to be totally in control and to to have his life all all squared away he's got style and and charisma but privately 
he is a wreck. Um, he's he's been beaten up by his dad as a child and watched his dad beat his mother up, and so he's really the the product of of abuse. And as a result, he's got a kind of hair trigger anger that he can't control, and that comes in violent bursts for brief but but violent bursts that um, end up slowly one by one destroying everything that he loves and he ultimately is the architect of his own destruction and and is aware of it and tragically he the, the, the person he loves most in the world is this kind of surrogate son of his Tony soprano who, he has grown up trying to parent somehow, but uh, he's hopeless at it and um, can't seem to find the right language or the right tone or style to, to try and guide Tony out of a world of crime and violence himself. And Ray Liotta is like the king of gangster movies, isn't he? What was that like to work with on set? Uh, well, I mean, it was both uh, an honor and also really scary because <laughs> all the people on the set that I wanted to impress the most, it was him. And a couple of weeks in, after we'd shot some scenes together, he sent me a text saying that I reminded him of himself as Henry Hill. And it was really that uh, little message that he sent me that kind of gave me the confidence to really let rip with this role and feel that that I was onto something. So I, I'm very grateful to him for that. My my phone, the phone that he texted me on since died and something went wrong with the cloud and the the yeah. damn text is gone now. And so, you know, maybe, maybe, never, maybe yeah. I dreamt it. Maybe it never really happened. <laughs> exactly. Just like the character, maybe it was in your head. <laughs> Pain comes from always wanting things. But who do I know? I'm a murderer. Gosh, I would crap myself acting across Ray Liotta. Wouldn't you, Just <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God, he's so terrifying in a good way. What What a force. Yeah. What a force. And also another, like, stroke of genius was casting him in two roles. <laughs> casting him as as the brothers, both brothers. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood Dick uh, and Uncle Sally. I just was obsessed with yeah. that. And gosh, he proves again, Ray Liotta, how much he is able to hone in on characters of gritty, lethal and dangerous sentiment. Mm, like, mm. wow, big tick. You just can't have a gangster movie without Ray Liotta. Wouldn't be right. Wouldn't be right. Yeah. I agree. We've got to talk about Michael Gandolfini, okay? And if you don't yeah. know, and we haven't mentioned it, I guess, yet, he is this actual son of James Gandolfini who played Tony Soprano. So he's playing his father's iconic role. He has massive shoes to fill. And that must have been a really heavy responsibility to play the younger version of this role that his father made famous. It's a genius piece of casting, I think. And he does a fantastic job conveying that early sensitivity and that budding ruthlessness that Tony has. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Lee. And half the challenge that filmmakers have mm. when you are introducing a character that everyone knows very well but presenting them as their younger self the challenge of casting someone who looks the part mm. is often missed but when you have the opportunity with such a skilled actor as Michael Gandolfini is himself yeah. he looks just like his father and it just delivers the perfect tone 
uh, I just think it's a stroke of genius as well that they yeah. brought him on board and he did an absolutely phenomenal job. Well, Alan Taylor shared a bit more on Michael Gandolfini stepping into his father's shoes and it's really interesting. Let's have a listen. Anthony got kicked out of school. I went through all that trouble. And for what? I'm always being accused. You're going to be good. But the funny thing is I, I haven't heard until recently when I've seen him do some press that his first reaction was, hell no. I mean, his first reaction was, there's no way I'm going to do this. Because by the time he came to... To me, he'd made peace with the decision and I was wary about casting him, first of all, to see if he could act and he could, he, he did an audition that was wonderful, but also to see if he was up to it emotionally because this is so much to ask of somebody. Mm-hmm. And clearly he'd done all the work he needed to do before he turned up because he was just a ray of sunshine on the set. I mean, he was um, one of the clearest signs that James Gandolfini was a wonderful father is that his son is one of the gentlest and sweetest people I've ever met. And he was a ray of sunshine on the set and yet able to go into this incredibly dark place at will and, and recreate this character. So, yeah, we couldn't have done that if he didn't want to, if it didn't feel like a healthy thing for him to do, but I think it really was the right thing for our movie, thank goodness, and also I think it was the right thing for him. Does anybody tell anybody about this? Before we move on from characters, Lee, I have to call out Vera Farmiga. Yes, please, we have to talk about Vera. She is outstanding as Livia Soprano. She is so riveting. I actually think she delivered the best performance in the film. Oh, yeah, 100%. The choices that her character makes that are brought through in her performance, something that I got a real chuckle out of, mm. a bit of a sinister chuckle, was, you know, at the beginning of the film, I think it was, at a baptism where mm. she's smoking over the baby in the pram yep. at the event. You know, just... She's ashing in the pram. Yes. I That's, it was so good. But if you're a fan of the series, you'll know that is that is Livia. You know, she's a complicated, sharp-tongued and abusive woman with real mental health issues. Right. Yeah, you definitely got um, feelings of her mental health yep. issues in this film, which were beautifully portrayed by Vera. And I think the film just really comes alive, especially in the scenes between Livia and Tony. And I would have loved to have seen more of that. Again, another subplot, characters that just needed... A couple mm. more hours, you know, in a mini series like we've discussed <laughs> to really delve deeper. One more person I want to talk about is Corey Stoll as Junior Soprano. He got so many of the mannerisms and the looks right of this younger character. It's fantastic. Is, is that kind of cool as a fan of the series? Do, do you see that as like great performance mixed with like really serviceable fan service as yeah, well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. We can't talk about a Sopranos movie without talking about the soundtrack. The Sopranos soundtrack was really, really cool and the movie delivers on that too. You've got mixes of opera and thumping rock with 60s and 70s music and then, of course, the iconic Sopranos theme thrown in at the end. Love that. The the scenes in the bars with the music and the bands Mm. and the atmosphere that it established, like I couldn't get enough of that and wanted more. They were just so brilliantly done. I loved being transported into those spaces and the music really carried those scenes. And the film being set in the 60s, that there's such a distinct sound and production design for that yep. era as well. And I think this film represented a flawless take on that period with the cars, the costumes, of course, the music and the bars that we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. I really love being transported to past decades and I, I think it's a really great experience that this film offers. Yeah, but there's a real edge to it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Real dark, dark edge to it. Do you think it's time to wrap up our review of The Many Saints of Newark? Yeah, let's jump into our wrap-up, Slee. So, 
The Many Saints of Newark was my first introduction into The Sopranos world and I would like to explore it further, please. The performances and aesthetic of the film were the standouts for me, along with the important look at the racial politics of the time, a conversation we should never stop having. And I think it almost succeeds as a standalone gangster film and I appreciate that fans, though, of the series might have more to say about that than I can but I'm going to rate The Many Saints of Newark three and a half popcorn kernels. Well, The Many Saints of Newark is ambitious in its intentions, which is to set up a Sopranos prequel, giving us insight into iconic beloved characters while also being a standalone film about family and loyalty to be enjoyed by non-Sopranos fans, while also incorporating a meaningful message about race relations and urban crime. It's a lot to squish into a two-hour drama, and as we said, it might have worked better as a mini-series. But you just can't fault the quality behind director Alan Taylor and David Chase who know this world inside out and backwards. There are fantastic performances from the cast and it hits the beats you want from a Sopranos movie but would have benefited from a stronger focus and more of Junior Tony to really let Michael Gandolfini shine. I'm giving The Many Saints of Newark three out of five popcorn kernels. Well put, Lee, so you can catch The Many Saints of Newark from November 4th in Australian cinemas. Check it out and let us know what you think on our socials. All right, Lee, let's jump straight into our news and trailer section of the episode with director James Wan recently revealing that the cancelled Aquaman spin-off movie about The Trench was actually a secret Black Manta project. Ooh. Interesting. Although the production was scrapped earlier this year, it's only just come to light what it was actually about. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II's Black Manta was introduced in Aquaman and will return in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom next year. June Part 2, Lee, has officially been greenlit by Warner Brothers and Legendary after the successful box office hauls of June. It's interesting, though, that Dennis Villeneuve took a gamble on making two parts without a second greenlit. And he's also now talking about a third movie based on the books, June Messiah. He's all in for this uh, franchise, isn't he? He absolutely is. With the announcement, Villeneuve was quoted as saying, it was a dream of mine to adapt Frank Herbert's June and I have the fans, the cast and crew, Legendary and Warner Brothers to thank for supporting this dream. This is only the beginning. Now, we say successful. Mm. It actually took in... $41 million on the opening weekend from a whopping $165 million budget. Oof. But when you compare it to a new release like Halloween Kills, which took in almost $50 million on opening weekend, but from just a $20 million budget and on less screens than June. So it means June has a bit of work ahead to make the combined budget of all these movies worth it. That budget is just nuts. And that's just one movie. Imagine what two more would come in at. Or i dizzy thinking about the the coin behind it to make these, but Mm. Dennis Villeneuve is known to have massive budgets behind his projects and they never really make a great deal of money. So I guess that trend continues, but he makes stunning, stunning cinema and we can't wait to see June part one very, very soon. Now, Tim, the Renaissance or 
age of phrase, as I coined it. <laughs> age of phrase, yeah. age of phrase. Is in full swing as Brendan Fraser has been cast as villain Firefly in the upcoming Batgirl movie, starring alongside In the Heights star Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon Batgirl, who is the daughter of Commissioner Gordon in this film. I can't wait to see Leslie Grace in this role. Now, the character of Firefly is a pyromaniac who became horrifically scarred and a special effects genius who uses lighting effects to commit his crimes. Very interesting premise behind a villain. I think this is a fantastic role for Brendan Fraser and how he does villains so well. He does. Oh, gosh, I cannot wait for this project. Tim, we also got a first look teaser trailer this week for Disney and Pixar's Lightyear. The sci-fi action adventure sees Chris Evans voice the iconic character of Buzz Lightyear, the space ranger hero who inspired the toy. And in this first look teaser trailer, we see Buzz head off on his big space adventure. It will be interesting to see how they weave the delusion Buzz has about being a real space explorer into Mm. the story or whether they're going in a completely different direction and telling a real history of someone the toy is based on. What do you think? Yeah, I can't wait to see what direction they go with this one. I mean, I don't know how you felt about the trailer, but the use of... David Bowie's song. Oh, yeah. My goodness. It was so powerful. And the animation. Like, can Pixar get any better? Mm. Apparently they can. This movie looks stunning. It does. It does. And all the Easter eggs that they've thrown in there and all the visual uh, homages to Star Wars, for example. Yeah. Lots of homages. I love that. I'm very, very excited for this project now that I've seen the trailer. Well, Lightyear flies into cinemas in 2022. This is an interesting piece of news, Lee, with Mm. Bill Murray casually revealing in an interview for German outlet Faz while promoting Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch that he is in a Marvel movie. Crazy. Right? Yeah, crazy. Although Murray didn't specify which one or give further details on the role, it is expected to be Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania because he referred to working with the director whose work he likes and referenced Bring It On. Yes, and of course Peyton Reed directed Bring It On. And he's directing mm. Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. Quantum Mania. Yeah. So there's no word on what Bill Murray's character is at the moment, but Quantum Mania is heading for Australian cinemas in 2023 at this stage. So now we just sit back, relax, and let the MCU rumour mill spin for the next <laughs> few years. <laughs> Boy, will it spin and spin. Now, speaking of Marvel, Marvel's Eternals is currently the lowest rated film in the MCU on Rotten Tomatoes, just a touch lower than... For the Dark World, back from, you know, 2013. Mm. Although it hasn't opened in cinemas worldwide yet, this is based on select preview screenings. So that critic rating could change when more come into the market, including ours. Mm -hmm. But it's left critics divided so far. I haven't read anything negative. I've heard beautiful things about this movie. This surprises me. I've seen seen some negative things, but I'm trying to stay away from spoilers because I'm so excited Mm. to see this movie. I cannot wait. We'll be seeing Eternals a little earlier than the release date, so we can't wait to bring you the definitive review in next week's episode. Joined by special guest host Nick from Nick's Flicks. Say that three times fast. (laughs) (laughs) I might challenge him to do that on the episode. So make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast platform to get that episode because it's going to be a great one. Yeah, I can't wait to um, invite Nick on to the pod. Mm. All right, guys, that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast. We covered the many saints of Newark. Joined by special guests Alessandro Nivola and Alan Taylor, who were fantastic. 
wonderful. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.